Hello, welcome to the Poolside Pass podcast, episode two. Today I'm with Kevin Brooks, head coach at Wickham District Swimming Club. Um, he's been here since 2012, I think. Um, so, Kevin, thanks for coming on the podcast. Welcome. That's all right. Um, just to start with, I want to ask you a little bit about your background in the sport, how it all, how it all began for you, really. Uh, right. Um, I started swimming as a competitive swimmer at the age of roughly 11 in 1992 at Maxwell Swimming Club. And I swam there as a age group and youth swimmer until, I want to say, 97-ish. Um, I only got to, I say only, but just up to like, what's called district level then, so basically regional level now in today's money. Um, but I, I wasn't that good. And I love swimming and I, and I was attending loads. I was one of those classic swimmers which did everything that was asked of them but never actually did that well. Um, so it's a bit of a workhorse, you could say. Um, but basically, I started doing my lifeguarding course at the age of 16 which would have been in 1997 and then I quickly did my um, assistant swimming teachers course which is now the level one and I started teaching um, kids to swim and I quickly realised how much I enjoyed it. At the time Maxwell Swimming Club had some local performance skills lessons um, and I asked the then head coach which was Yanko, who's now head coach at Hatfield if I could start helping out and he went, yeah, of course. So I started doing that. Um, and then very quickly, um, I started helping with the age group squad, which was led by a coach called Ian Blythe. And then he decided to stop. And I quickly got offered the chance to lead this county age group squad at the age of 17, 18, which would have been 90, oh, 1999, 98, somewhere around then. Um, and I said, yeah, all right. So I got, got straight in with that. And I started that with like the aim of being like, I remember walking on poolside because I wanted to go and see one of my old coaches and I was 17, 18, around that age. And he said, so why do you want to start coaching Kevin? And the first thing that came into my head was, well, you know, his name was Vic. I said, you know, Vic, well, I can't get to national level as a swimmer. I've tried and you know I can't. Um, so I'm going to get there as a coach. And he's like, okay, great. And funnily enough, that year with my group of age group swimmers I had, I had five kids qualify for national age group championships, which was 1999. And um, it all started from there. And at that point, I did my level, it was level two, it was called the ASA uh, teacher certificate. And I had just turned 18 um, and I made, they managed to sneak me onto the course. So, yeah. Ah, interesting. So you mentioned when you first started, your your aims were to kind of go to those nationals as a coach. Yeah. Um, having done that in your in your first year, did you have to reevaluate very quickly what you wanted out from there? Yeah, I mean, I still remember the thrill of see, of seeing the girls. The majority of them were girls qualify um, in certain events at counties, and I was just like, I thought it was like the best thing ever. And I was 18, I was just like, wow, this is amazing, I've got kids to this level. And it just inspired me to be like, right, well, what can I do now? And I just kept trying to learn. And I was that classic young coach thinking I probably knew it all and just kind of like threw myself in. And um, But I was so passionate about the club because I've been a member of there for so long. They quickly made me into um, deputy head coach there. And I did my ASA club coaches, which is, I guess, the level three now. I did that when I was 19. So... I was I was doing a lot of coaching and then basically 
I continued to coach um, during my A-level period and I had a two years out of school just to coach at Maxwell Swimming Club. Um, I was assisting Yanko, learned a lot of him at the time. And then I went to university having just turned 21 in that September. Um, so I went to uni in 2002. Uh, and I just wanted to keep coaching. In fact, I remember my first day going to university being dropped off by my dad. He took me in my car, which I was using. And then he went and got the train home. But the first thing I did was I drove straight away to Ferndown Swimming Club, which uh, was at the time the best swimming club in Dorset, a very small program. But they had a, an Olympian in Karen Legg a swimmer on the world champs team, um, Alex Savage, and their head coach, Tony Watson, was a, a multiple Olympic coach and was on the Olympic team staff and stuff. And uh, I went straight there um, to suss out this program which I was going to be coaching at because I'd already organised that in advance. Uh, I, I was then their junior coach and I did that for two years whilst being at university. Um, and that was my main commitment outside of going to uni. Um, and it just kept building from there. No. I know what it's like when you say it's your main commitment outside of university. Um, my mum always pestered me when I was doing my degree, not pestered, reminded me mm. that I was there to get my degree first and foremost and the coaching came second. But to me, I was only going to that university to enable me to carry on coaching in the programme that I was coaching. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I remember at, um, at uni, I did my placement year. Um, we all needed to find a placement year uh, in year three. And Maxwell Swimming Club, um, Yanko suddenly left and um, they approached me saying, would you like to become the new head coach at Maxwell? I was like, whoa, um, I'm still at uni, but I'll do it for my placement year. And then literally I had some swimmers on the European short course team a few months later, like four or five months later. And I was like, crikey, I'm quite enjoying this. So I then said, I do want to become your head coach, but they'd already gone out to recruitment. So I went for an interview and they, they kindly gave me the job based on me still being at uni so I was doing a lot of travelling over the next year and a half um, but I remember going back to uni thinking to myself right I've got swimmers on GB teams at the moment I've got a really successful club at, the, at that time which was growing and other people on my uni course were coaching as a sports coaching degree were, were coaching once a week once a week a bit of football here and there and I was thinking crikey I, I was immersing myself in yeah. it they're on a coaching degree and not really coaching absolutely <laughs> So you mentioned there, how, how old were you when you got the head coach role at Maxwell? I was 22, just turning 23. Okay, so quite a young yeah. young head coach in, in a programme like that. What were, were, were there any challenges that came with being such a young head coach in such a, what was a high-profile programme? Luckily for me, they all knew me and they knew what, where, where I had been coaching so I kind of had a good rapport and some respect and I respected the swimmers, they respected me and so that, that really helped at the time. But but even though I was 23, I looked like I was 12. Uh, I had quite a baby face back then. And so it, it was that classic thing of like, you have older parents and they automatically think they can talk down to you. They automatically think that they know what's right. Um, they automatically think you don't have enough experience or understanding in the sport. Uh, and it's just dealing with those little battles and equally as well it's actually understanding that being a head coach isn't just about you it's about well, everything other than you and so yeah, I quickly learned that at the club that if I wanted to do things I had to do it with people and engage with people and not just have all these amazing ideas and just 
be a loose cannon. Okay. So when when you took that head coach role at Maxwell, what were your kind of aims and ambitions for you in that role and, and the vision for the, the programme going forward? I think in my first year I felt absolutely out of depth. And I almost felt like actually reflecting back now, I felt like almost the swimmers were kind of leading it a bit for me. And I was quickly trying to catch up in my where I'm meant to be, what I'm meant to be doing competitions here cycles here all that kind of stuff and it was all a little bit like this is a bit maybe a bit too soon for me but I um, I quickly realised that um, what I needed to do and I quickly got my head around things uh, in a few months it was only at the beginning and um, just kept driving it forward to me it's always about positivity and the relentless pursuit of trying to be as good as you can be and because swimming was a passion of mine, I just wanted to be better at it all the time. I just saw it as a way of how can I not only be a better coach, but how can I get these swimmers to be better and better all the time uh, and not to keep reflecting back on thinking, oh, well, that's bad and this is bad or this is going to be bad. It's actually, no, no, how can we make it good? Cool. So, obviously, since since you were at Ferndown and Maxwell, since then you, you've moved, you've moved programmes couple of times since then no so well almost I, I was at Maxwell originally as I said I then went to Ferndown for two years I was at Maxwell for eight years as head coach and now I've been at Wickham for seven years okay. so I've only really been at that, well, three swimming clubs yeah so I've when, been coaching at national level 20 years so when you left Maxwell the first time was the move to Ferndown something just because that club was local to where you were doing your degree or did you pick your degree course based on a club you wanted to coach in? Uh, a bit of both. I originally applied to go to university to do some like civil engineering degree, product design, something around that because I was really interested in that. My A-levels were design technology, physics and PE. I originally started maths and I decided to drop that pretty quick. And the course which was at Bournemouth University was a, a new course and... I realised very quickly that the course I applied for at uni I didn't want to do, even though I was had an unconditional offer to go and do it. Um, when my results came through, I declined that unconditional offer and immediately looked at the course they're doing at Bournemouth, which is a sports coaching and development course, which just ticked all my boxes because I love the sport in itself and the development of sport, as well as the coaching performance side of things, so it really hit me. And also the, the area of Bournemouth was always quite close to my heart because we used to go there as family a little bit when I was younger and it just, just always felt like one big holiday down there. So I, I went there for an open day and I was just like, oh my God, I love this place. It just happened to be a beautiful day and the beach was there and it was just, yeah. I just, They always recruit students when the sun's out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I just fell for it. And to be honest, when I was looking at coaching, um, I thought, where, where are the best clubs in, in Bournemouth area? And obviously I looked at what was then called Bournemouth Dolphins, but Ferndown was a a better club with a, a coach on an Olympic team at that time so I was like right I'm prepared to drive um, it's almost half an hour every day to go to that programme to do it so that's what I did okay. so then you returned to Maxwell for the second time mm -hmm. um, and you coached up there until 2012 that's right yeah summer 2012 so then post summer 2012 what was how did you decide that that was the time to move and how did you decide that you wanted to move here to, to Wickham? Right. So when I was at Maxwell, the club wasn't the top club in the county. 
although it had some significantly good swimmers. Um, in that first year I was at Maxwell, I had three swimmers on the European short course team and one swimmer at European juniors. Um, I then, in 2006, the club then became top club in the county for the first time in a long time. Uh, and then following on from that, I had um, some swimmers at uh, European juniors and then European senior championships. And the club was continually being a, a more dominating club in that area. Um, particularly against like the, the local rivals, you could say, of CMK and Oxford, but Maxwell was significantly higher at that time. Um, and not only that, the club was growing in size, so we, we started with 100 swimmers, and gradually over those eight years, I got the club to 350 swimmers in size. Um, Craig Gibbons, I actually swam with him as a, as a swimmer. He came back to the club after he swam at European Short Course in 2004. He went off to a sprint centre that British Swimming has sent up, um, and various other national centres and he floated around a lot he came back wanting to quit the sport in 2009 early 2009 um, I then facilitated his training to the Olympic Games in 2012 which was a, an aim for him his lifelong aim to qualify and we managed to do it um, having learnt lots of lessons along the way but he managed to do it when it mattered and so realistically just putting that all into context when it got to the end of those eight years I looked at it and I saw the job at Wickham had come up and Wickham wasn't performing that well as a club at that point, um, far from it. And a different facility. And a different facility. Right. It's a great old six-lane, 50-metre pool, um, great training pool, you could say. Uh, horrific uh, racing pool. I mean, you feel like you're going backwards. But um, for me, it was a case of, right, I've been at Maxwell for eight years. I've kind of built a club up. I've introduced an academy. I've had various international swimmers. The club is a dominated club in the local area. I've just created an Olympian in that pool and environment, which is a 25-metre pool. What more can I do here? Yes, we could merge with other local teams. Will I ever realistically have international swimmers again here? Well, yeah, I could quite easily have junior internationals again. Could I have more than that? Unlikely, unless someone comes in after university and stuff. So I kind of looked and thought... I think I need a, another challenge and so I saw Wickham and I applied for it and I, I got the job which was great but I saw Wickham as sort of like a starting point of being like right everything I've learned in the last eight years as a head coach and crikey the previous however many years before that how can I build a club up which is great for a local community how can I build it up which is great for performance coach development all these different things how can I start again and was create something from afresh from a club which was at rock bottom yeah. and the new pool and the target of having a new pool three years down the line was a good sort of like thing to aim for so when you went in in 2012 you wanted to have things set up and in place and move in the right direction in time for delivery of, of the new pool correct yeah so I, I was having meetings with the council just before I even started to try and understand what their strategy was then I helped them to realign their strategy. Then I understood where they were in terms of what they're doing with the pool. And then I had some major impact with the team here in terms of how we can uh, make the pool into something a bit better than what they thought. Um, and it all just kept building and building. But it was a continuous, relentless pursuit of trying to get things the way you wanted things to be. Sounds, sounds like you had a, a plan from the outset and you just yeah. kept evolving that and evolving We had this that. plan called Swim Wickham. And everything was centred around that plan of how we can move aquatics forward in in the local district. So since since then, obviously Wickham has become quite a successful program. You seem to have success year on year on year. 
what do you think is the driver behind what's causing that continued success year on year um, I put it down to success breeding success so when I first start and everything that comes around it so when I first started I had a group of six to eight regional level swimmers and a club was 150 swimmers and sires the first thing when I spoke to those swimmers that the top squad I inherited I said what are your aspirations hands up if you want to do this well you know I asked I asked put your hands up who, who what are your aims in swimming and this lad put his hand up went I, I want to get to regionals another lad said I want to get on a regional podium and and after about the fourth person I'm talking about regionals I go right guys stop right there do any of you ever want to represent your country and their faces are like huh what are you talking about we're Wickham Swimming Club we don't do that and you, you kind of got that look and I was just like right this is the day that you stop being like like down here in your beliefs and this is the day you start dreaming big and that was my like strap line I said to all of them at the time I said you've got to dream bigger than what you're dreaming at the moment what could you achieve I know what you could achieve if you commit to what I ask you to do you could get to a high level and in that year we had six qualifiers for nationals Craig who was our assistant coach at the time had a girl um, get a bronze medal and we also had a relay team considering the club didn't have anyone at nationals for the previous six years that was an epic achievement. Then the following year it built up to have 10 swimmers and a silver medal and another bronze medal and two relay teams. And it just kept building and building and building. It was almost like changing the mindset in the programme from like a small club mentality Absolutely. into one where they believe that if they're in the programme, mm -hmm. they've got the opportunity to achieve yeah. anything they want. Very much so. And I'm... I'm a big believer in... I'm not one of these coaches which just wants to have a small group of swimmers and a small programme of elite swimmers because actually one day those swimmers will move on and you could potentially be left with nothing. And so I believe that swimmers, as an actual person, teenagers, want to be around like-minded people. The last thing you want is to have a performance athlete that wants to do 20 hours a week, training next to an athlete that wants to do 10 hours a week or 14 hours a week, and maybe he's quite happy to just get to English level or just get to regional level. Those two mindsets don't really work. So what we tried to do from the outset here is develop a program where the right-minded athletes train together. So that's why our program now has three key sections to it. We have a performance section, which is roughly 8% of the club. We have a competitive pathway, and then we have a development pathway. And so as that, as that whole structure like gradually started to like be implemented through the club and it's obviously evolved over that time we now have the performance program which are all on the same wavelength they all want to do the same thing the people in the competitive uh, squads are fantastic kids they all want the same for themselves but maybe not what performance want and those that are turning up to the development section well they're not performance athletes they're not competitive athletes but they all have the common goal of having fun and keeping fit and maybe the occasional competition. So there's three completely different types of mindsets for training, all which are really important for our club, but they're all separated out. And there is integration, because sometimes they swim side by side, but not, not that often. And so that way, um, performance drives the participation. So the higher level the performance side gets, it gradually brings up the rest of the programme. Yeah. So now we're getting swimmers in senior competitive getting to English nationals, when before first thing was just getting to get to counties yeah so it's gradually it's having a knockdown effect so the top end of the what the 
the performance strand yeah. brings up the, the quality yeah, yeah. in the other strands. And then because the club's doing so well, people want to be part of that, so they come and inquire about the club because it's like, oh, we hear you're a successful club. Regardless of if their kid isn't that good, they want to be part of a successful yeah. club. So obviously, when you first arrived at Wickham, mm-hmm. there was on the coaching team yourself and your assistant. Mm-hmm. Did you have any other so head coaches at the time? There's two full-time coaches. Back when I first started coaching, um, you'd be lucky if there was three full-time coaching jobs in the entire Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire area. Um, now there's multiple. I mean, like as a club now, so when we started, sorry, we had two full-time coaches, myself and a guy called Craig Oliver. That was one of my ex-swimmers in the past anyway. Um, he was fantastic. He understood me, I understood him, and we worked really well as a team. And we couldn't have done what we did without each other, if you know what I mean. It worked really yeah. well for the time we were in. Um, we had other volunteer coaches. We had an amazing group of volunteer coaches in our club. Um, and then gradually, as the club started to evolve, going from 150 swimmers to 250 swimmers, to 300 plus we're like we need to recruit an additional coach so we looked into having a full-time development coach then as the years went on we're like well we need a full-time junior coach but we haven't got as many hours with junior coaching so actually this guy we know is also an ex-swimmer is a really interesting SNC so let's create a full-time junior coach position with an SNC role as well and then, because I was thinking ahead, clubs are going to need to have that provision anyway. So that started back in like 2014 or 2015, I'd say, which was a real good thing that we did. Um, and then it just has evolved. So now we now have um, basically six full-time swimming coaches and one full-time S&C coach um, and various part-time coaches and various still have various amazing volunteer coaches. So it's just kept evolving. So as, as the membership's grown... As the demand has grown, mm. the coaching team's grown yeah. with that. And were there any um, obstacles in the way of being able to recruit more and more coaches into your programme? I wouldn't say obstacles, other than I'm quite picky on the coaches I want in the club. When you've built up a big structure and what's become a successful programme, and you ha- every coach, every head coach has a certain philosophy and way of doing things, certain standards they want meeting I mean I I give the coaches here a lot of free reign but they know the boundaries of what I expect you know the type of coaching I want to see um, the type of program I want to see in terms of the younger swimmers and and the older swimmers and etc so there are some clear like philosophical philosophies in the program but then they're allowed to bring themselves into it and coach and plan their own stuff and then I sit down with each of them and we sit down as a team to go over things um in terms of like you say challenges yeah Um, the biggest challenge we always felt with recruitment was actually finding good enough coaches okay sounds silly but actually you'd be surprised um, how that actually not many coaches apply for roles Um, we're talking of like between 10 to 20 some jobs when we had our S&C coach role we had over 50 people apply but for a swimming coach role we had only 10 to 10 to 20 Um, and so it's like the numbers are significantly less for some reason Um, but also the experience and quality of coaches um, I've always quite surprised at at that Um, and surprised in a good way or a bad way? in a bad way but maybe because my standards are so high (laughs) you know what I mean? and so the coaches we picked were standout people within each of those those applications and were 
I saw them being exceptional coaches before and they lived up to that so that's a good thing <laughs> cool so moving on from that do you think that in England and Britain as a whole we're struggling to recruit younger people into the coaching profession I think a lot of people like the thought of being a swimming coach or a coach generally but when they realise how much dedication is required and how much time commitment is required and how much it can knock your social life particularly if you're a young coach more and more people back away from it um, and they want to want to be associated with success but maybe aren't prepared to give the hours required to have the success does that make sense? yeah I understand that and um I think a lot of the changes in terms of the coach development in this country, particularly with the Swim England work that's going on, I think that's a real positive. And I'm seeing standards improve all the time. Uh, I'm seeing the key messages coming across all the time. And that's far better than what it was 20 years ago for me. Yeah, so you talk about you know, they're doing a good job of getting, bringing the standard up of young coaches mm. or coaches coaching in general. When you was a young coach and you were kind of first getting on the ladder mm-hmm. um, what was kind of the biggest challenge you faced in any role you've been in and how did you kind of get around that and, and continue progression from there the biggest challenge I think as a swimming coach I think the biggest challenge you all face and I saw it at like British Summer Champs for example the moment you go to the highest level competition of your career as a coach you suddenly have this a little bit of like fear come in or a little bit of anxiety a bit of like um, nervousness as a coach so I, you know I noticed very quickly at nationals the coaches which maybe were there for the first time with the first crop of swimmers that they had coach of and their anxiety and nerves were through the roof and I reflected and thought actually I can relate to that because 20 years ago even at it, like if you go back to that highest level thing so for me the highest level thing I had back when I was 17 was having those five girls get to nationals I remember going to nationals then and thinking crikey this is I'm at the Olympic Games here this is amazing it wasn't but to me at the time it was like this is the big deal so every time you have a new experience which is um, higher than the one you've had before it's always going to bring some anxiety yeah. as a coach so the first time you one of your swimmers has the potential to get on a national podium at well then it was age or youth championships now it's British championships there's an immediate bit of course a bit of anxiety here I've not had a swimmer do this before and that that is that kind of like challenge which every coach will have I'm now at the point now where I rarely get nervous at all because you've had those experiences before and you know that the most important thing you need to do as a coach is stay calm. Um, in terms of challenges... These are constant. Absolutely. highs and lows. Absolutely. Constant. constant, yeah. Um, I think for me, a crucial thing um, was when I was at Ferndown and Bill Sweetman was only recently in post and I hadn't met him before and I was t- covering a set... Well, I started off a, a coaching session. I was turning up. Tony was a full-time uh, PE teacher anyway and I rocked up on poolside I was waiting for Tony to come with a session that he'd planned I knew the type of work we were doing so I knew the theme of the session but I was assisting him so I didn't have it with me and sitting on poolside was Bill Sweetman John Atkinson the entire sports science team of British Swimming and I was just like oh crap and then I introduced myself and I was like yeah Tony's coming Tony didn't turn up so I quickly made something up on the spot 
in front of the National Performance Director without him really realising, put it on the board, got the swimmers to train. Tony then turned up an hour later because he was held up at school. The session was going great, the kids were doing well. I had blagged my way through things with Bill and John and stuff and uh, the session was great. But my anxiety and nerves while trying to do that was through the roof. So the first time I've ever met somebody that at the time was a huge person that had just come onto the scene in, in terms of British swimming. And so that sort of thing there for me very quickly just went, nah, this is fine. Pressure's fine. And, I, and that's one thing I've tried to deal with all the time is dealing with pressure. Because that's a pressurised environment yeah. if you've not had that before. So in terms of my own experiences, just trying to relate to that level of anxiety you speak about when you get to that mm. that first big meet of yours. Two seasons ago, I took... I had, I had a group, and they, they weren't expected to qualify for regionals because they were doing four sessions a week, mm-hmm. two with me, two with the home programme. I had one girl qualify on a 50, and I thought, great, she's qualified. I turn up, so in the West Midlands, we have a, a day where it's mm-hmm. just 50. So I turned up for the day, and there was two other coaches from my programme on, on poolside, and I was like, wow, I'm at regionals or whatever for the first time. I've actually got to, actually got to coach someone to to do a performance here. I've actually, mm-hmm. and then when the penny drops, you've actually got to actually get a result out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next season, um, for one reason or another, I was the only coach in, in the program that was going for the whole championships. The other groups were dropping yeah. in, in and out, and all of a sudden, I'd, I'd moved up in, in a row, and I had twenty swimmers. It was me and 20 swimmers on deck at our regional championships. I've only ever been once before as a coach, and I've got to, now I've got to manage these 20 swimmers and get performances out each and every one of them. And it was, it was quite nerve-wracking, but I managed to get through it in the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like you, it's, you said the word already, which is um, constant, like being a, just a constant, narrow out the, the peaks and the troughs of the wave. It's just trying to be that, that just constant, calm person. And I certainly think I've become a lot more like that in the last eight years than maybe what I was in the previous 12 years. Yeah, and, and that's really important because nothing changes. It's just another swimming pool. You're just there to get your business done and get in and get out and do it properly. It's just another competition. It's just another pool. As I say to my swimmers, it's just another gala. Yeah. <laughs> Olympic trials coming up, it's just another gala and you're going to smash it. Why worry about it? Yeah. So you, you mentioned earlier on when we have been speaking, you've been coaching now over 20 years. Mm. Has your philosophy as a coach changed through the 20, over, over 20 years or so? And, and how has it kind of evolved into what it is now? I've always been a very technically minded coach. I've always loved like, I remember when I was doing swimming, and this is why I really pleased I did swimming teaching, and I think a lot of coaches should do that because it really makes you understand the basics of technique and where it comes from and, and how hard it is for kids to understand it and how they always revert back to what they know best. And it's just getting across some simple things and understanding that technique, um, there's different ways of putting it across for different age groups. And so like a, a young five to eight-year-old they need things really simple and really effective like just 
keeping it short, sharp, simple, different type of communication to what you'd have with a 17, 18 year old in terms of how you deliver a stroke. The amount of teachers I got really annoyed about talking to five year olds about high elbows. I'm like, why are you talking to them about that? They don't understand where their elbow is, let alone if it's high or low, you know? So just keep it simple. Um, and that's been a philosophy I've always had, keeping it simple, but having um, age-appropriate technique sessions, yeah? I still do, and my swimmers like it, coach-led technique sessions uh, occasionally each week where it's just me talking through technique and making it progressive. So, and they love it, but it just flows because it's just, um, I think you might have seen something I've done with a younger group before, we just continue just go through some drills but the whole session is progressive 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 moving it on um, at the right pitch for them and when you think they've mastered that then you can move on to the next bit etc um, and so what I've always been a big believer in in like coach-led technique and really getting uh, skills across in the right way when I was doing those lessons back then when I was like 17 I didn't care too much about the, the tick box culture of, oh, have they done this, have they done this? And I just always knew that if I do this stuff properly and I plan to do this, then they'll master those things anyway. And they did. They all did, always did really well. And their strokes were always the best out of all the lesson classes at the time, I thought, because they, they had some really good skills. And so skills, technique, and that aerobic foundation um, has always been something that I've followed. I mean, I often see it now. A lot of coaches try and, like... I don't want to say want immediate success, but they uh, get wrapped up in the latest fad. So I, I'm sounding like an old coach here, but it's true. I remember when Swiss balls first came out. It sounds silly, but those Swiss balls, yeah. you see them in the gym all the time. At one point, back in like the early 2000s, every swimmer was trying to like use a Swiss ball in everything they did because <laughs> it was like, wow, this thing's going to be amazing. But now they're just a normal, regular fixture in the gym and people use them, maybe most people don't use them. A uh, thing you can probably think about more recently is like rollers. Everyone's using rollers. <laughs> yeah. There'll soon be another alternative to a roller, whatever it is. Um, whilst they do have obviously their uses, swimmers can become reliant on them. So my point is, there's always been lots of little fads that you have, yeah. and it's you as a coach to recognise what what value can you ha- can you take from it, and should you incorporate it or not. But I've had this conversation with coaches before where. You know, swimming is a well-established sport where swimmers have reached a significantly high level where world records are significantly quick and there's been significant work that's been done to achieve those records. There are generally no shortcuts. Yeah. Yeah. And the latest fad, so for example, I, I call it a fad, but it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a training technique which I respect and I've done occasionally. As USRPT. Set, yeah, USRPT. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For that, as a concept, great concept. As a training program, I don't believe in that. But as a session, Dropping or as part of this and part of that, I can see the value in it. But I see coaches, and I think back to myself, before it was even called USRPT, I remember doing a season of very high-intensity work um, back in, crikey, what, 2006 maybe? And it's probably the worst year I ever had. And I was thinking, what? And they just their skills are poor, their stroke mechanics are poor, they could sprint, Christ, they could sprint, but they couldn't back end, they couldn't do this, they couldn't do that, um, they looked fit, they were a little bit overweight in my opinion, and so realistically, I've really kind of honed down on knowing what works through trial and error, and so I, I believe now that the programme I run now is the best programme I've ever run, because it's a 
formation of 20 years of continued experience of what works and what doesn't work. But I hope that that continues and it should continue over the next 20 years. So that, that drive to keep building the process of developing, how do you, how do you keep that rolling every single day? I learned a real every, valuable every element of yeah, the club yeah. I, I learned a, a real valuable lesson from a, a well-established American coach called North Thornton. He coached Matt Bondi and stuff. So he was um, he retired a year after Nathan Adrian had been at um, Cal Berkeley, and that was the program I was really fortunate to go and see as part of a British swimming select program in two thousand five or six. Now, anyway, I asked him, you know, some key take homes, and one of the things he said that always stuck with me was the day you know it all retire. I love that so never think you know it all because you should always realise that you can learn things off anyone and I mean anyone I learn off my swimmers all the time I learn off other coaches all the time I did a coaching clinic over the summer and um, this level one coach put something across in a different way and I just went I love what you just did there I love how you've just done that that's brilliant I'm taking that away and he's like really I go absolutely that was fantastic because it was Um, say, say it for what it is it was fantastic what he showed me but um, for me, it's it's always a case of um, continually evolving yourself. So I asked him. I said, um, "You do so many different things here. I mean, and you've been coaching for like what thirty nine years at this level. What, 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 what's different? How do you move it on?" He goes, "I change one major thing a year." I said, "What? Anything else?" He goes, "Yeah, a couple of minor things maybe, but there's one major thing I change every year." because then I know the impact it's had or not if you try and have too many big ideas or you've gone to a conference and you've picked up all these things if you try and change four things in that year and it goes wrong well you don't know why it's gone wrong equally if it went right you don't know why it went right and so that's why swimming is such a long term sport because you know every year I'll add something extra in or take something out or do something a bit different and you can straight away see the, the benefits of it or the negatives of it change too much we don't know why yeah. so have all your good ideas it's like an ongoing experiment absolutely you never change too much in an experiment yeah. you have one variable yeah. so what's what's your dream now your dream when you first started was to have swimmers at national championships mm-hmm. now 20 or so years on what's What's your dream? What gets you out of bed in the morning? So, I've coached swimmers to national level for just over 20 years. Um, I've had international swimmers since 2004 as a head coach, and I was assisting with international swimmers for a period before that. Coached on to Olympic Games and stuff, which is all great. For me, moving forward, it's just got to be more of that and better. You know? The programme I'm in right now, I have everything that I need to coach multiple Olympians if I had the swimmers to do it. And when I say if I have the swimmers to do it, I have the swimmers to do it right now. I have some incredible kids, but they're junior level. And the area we're in is such a well-educated area that they will all want to go off to high-flying universities, some with swimming institutions next door, some potentially without which often saddens me but um, 
their later days in swimming, majority of swimmers will go off to bigger university programs because they offer degrees in uh, mechanical engineering, mathematics, that, that they want a seriously good education at, at the highest level. And so for me to retain those swimmers here, even though we have a university offering, it's not the offering that they want. And so they will go. The only way in which I'll retain seniors is if they are interested in the courses that we do at Buxton University. And actually, there's some fantastic courses there, and I've got some senior athletes that stay on and do that now. And that's a real positive. And it's a fantastic relationship we have with the, the, the programme there now. And potentially, if any athletes then come back after university. Um, so I can foresee us having high-level international success at a senior level. Um, but the biggest issue I have is the fact that swimmers will leave not because of the swimming, because of the degree that they want to go and do, which is just not offered here. Um, so that limits things. Yeah. Um, but for me, having regular success at junior international level is a really good aim to have in this programme. Um, we've had good success of that already, and potentially in the future we've got some great kids coming through that are already ranking very highly and are uh, British medalists from last summer. So for me, my aims over the next however long is to just keep building Wickham into something better than what it's been before. But with any programme and any performance coach recognise this, there's always going to be highs, there's always going to be lows. One year you'll have a really exceptional swimmer that wins multiple gold medals at nationals, suddenly makes your programme look really good. In fact, our best ever year in terms of gold medals was probably 2015. But our best ever year in terms of national finals and number of national medals was actually this year just gone we had we had significantly more kids getting medals than what we did before yeah. and to me that's better success better depth at a higher level so how how do you sustain yourself every day every week every season with that drive to keep building you know it must be quite taxing on you mentally mm, in terms of bringing that so. same energy every day for me I like one of the things I always think about as a coach and I think one of the, the ways in which I coach is I'm very uh, engaged with my swimmers or I try to be as much as possible and so I listen to their um, problems, I talk to them all the time um, and I'm actually a bit of a sponge in that sense so I'm always dealing with other people's issues, other people's problems, absorbing it all, trying to help them and so it's very easy to just take all of that stuff home with you um, and worry about it. I mean I've had every scenario you could possibly imagine you know, swimmers doing self-harm, swimmers wanting to commit suicide, swimmers um, that um, overeat or undereat, um, swimmers which are having issues with their girlfriends or boyfriends, swimmers which are having issues with their parents, issues at school. I mean, I could just keep going on, you know. And I think swimming coaching is is becoming a bit like, you know, you, I often think if I want to do further education in, in, in like a college or something, I often think about doing like uh counsellor training or something like that just because I think that could add some real depth to my coaching and understanding a person and how I can help them on a difficult path um, because I fundamentally care for my athletes and they know that and that's that's a major thing within our program um, but for me personally bearing in mind with all of that stuff coming at me and then if you think about the involvement I'll have with national governing bodies uh, with the swimming and performance centre um, being head coach of a 650 swimming club member club sorry with uh, various full-time staff various part-time staff engaging with the council engaging with the pool provider I'm literally being pulled in every possible direction um, 
and my days look incredibly long. So what I try and do um, to try and just keep myself on the right track, and I've got into this a lot more and more recently, is uh, my squad have 10 coaching sessions a week. I only coach nine of those. So the 10th one, Josh actually takes, um, who's our lead performance coach. Fantastic coach, but it's good for him to take my swimmers, which are racing, or well, not racing, training on that evening. That allows me to have a Friday night at home uh, with family or seeing friends. A Saturday is, our, is my day off, um, depending on competitions, obviously. And then I coach again on Sunday morning. That allows me to have more headspace. One rule I try and set myself wherever possible is when I get home at quarter past seven at night, half seven at night, I don't look at emails. I don't look at stuff like that. I won't respond to many messages. I try and avoid that wherever possible. Um, but the biggest thing for me, trying to stay focused on coaching, is I've been going back into the gym and going swimming myself. So before this interview today, I'll have coached from being here at 5.15, coached uh, pre-pool obviously, two-hour swim session. My guys went into the gym with Gemma. I was in the gym, observing what they're doing around if needed, but I was doing my own gym work, away from them, not near them, just in another area, doing my own workout, um, and that's why I'm dressed in shorts and t-shirt now, because <laughs> I've just done that, but I've done my exercise for the day, and then I can crack on with paperwork and admin, knowing I've done something, and I may come in for a swim later before I carry on with admin and stuff. So staying on top of your exercise is so important for your own mental health. Um, and your own physical fitness and it allows me now to have so much more energy and drive and passion for my coaching um, in fact at summer nationals one of the ways I, reasons I think I was more calm and on it during nationals and more focused was every day I did some sort of exercise whether it was a run, gym or swim for every day of nationals for the two weeks British and English I did something um, and that helped me stay on top of things. And this is the major thing with our coaching team. We all try and make sure we all do the same. We yeah. all recognise that each of us have to go and do stuff. Um, and that's that's why I think we're doing so well as a programme slash team is because we all understand each other's needs and that we all need a bit of time out. Uh, and it helps us all coach better. Yeah. so that is a most important thing I can recommend to any coach is if you are not exercising in the week and if you are sleeping in the day which I don't do then you're going to get physically and mentally drained and unhealthy and that will not help your coaching so just to just to round off um, if you were in a room with lots and lots of young coaches now today and you were given a talk what would be the three three things mm -hmm. that you'd tell them to, to think about going forward in their career to develop it to, to its max as I tell my swimmers the first thing dream big in your coaching and with that be prepared to go and visit and travel and get to know other coaches to learn you, whilst they've redone the level 3 course which I, I know you're on um, or the senior coach, whatever it's called now, <laughs> now I'm feeling old, um, you'll learn certain amounts of that, you'll learn knowledge, you'll learn the most about coaching through talking to other coaches, through going to opportunities, like going to your first regionals, you'd have learned a lot, not just about your swimmers, but about yourself as a coach. Um, exploring every opportunity there is to learn and gain knowledge. 
is the number one, number one thing you've got to keep doing. And you've got to always keep doing it. You know, it always surprises me when opportunities come up and coaches don't engage with them. Um, that's the biggest way I learn. And so always keep putting yourself forward. And if national program opportunities come up or uh, regional program opportunities come up, and if you're a young coach, just put your name out there. One day you'll be accepted onto doing it. And the worst case, you'll start getting a name for putting yourself forward and they'll be like, well, why not? You know, if there's camps running or British Marine camps running, ask, well, well, can I come and shadow? I know you don't want me doing anything, but can I just watch? There's National Centre in Loughborough. Can I go and watch? Can I just watch what you do, please? I won't interfere with anything. Can I just sit on poolside and watch? It's putting yourself out there and realising you can do that. You know, I often have coaches come here almost on a weekly basis and I'm like, absolutely, you can come down here and I'm always prepared to give you my time because you're putting yourself out there to learn. So the second thing I would say would be um, coaching in a team and respecting your team of coaches, whether you're a head coach or an assistant coach, is so important um, as a young coach coming through. It's recognising that um, everyone's on their own coaching journey and that if you want to progress then the best way of progressing is you know working with people and understanding what their point of view is and listening um, and, and actually listening to parents and taking people with you in that sense yeah you know I think that's really really important because it's so easy as a young coach to wind people up the wrong way fellow coaches um, parents swimmers and equally you know you, that would not be a good start for coaching for you so take people with you, be respectful, that kind of thing is, is the second biggest thing. And I think that finally, I think the third thing really is be true to yourself and fully develop your own coaching philosophy. Nobody needs like 20,000 coaches which coach like Kev Brooks or 20,000 coaches which coach like you. You know, Be true to yourself and believe in what you do but more importantly than anything know why you do it don't just do it because someone else does it yeah you know being true to yourself is i do it like this because i believe in it because of these reasons and i know these reasons because i've learned it over the years um and i'd have to have to put a fourth thing in there is um, always put your hand up and be like you don't know everything so if if you've made mistakes then admit to it and quickly change it um, don't just try and like blag it and hang on to a lie because you'll be you'll be found out. Just you know, be honest. I think that's I three, four things I've blabbled on about. Excellent. Well, thank you, Kevin Brooks. Thanks for your time. Um, appreciate you coming on and helping me out with the podcast. Um, so that's it. Episode three complete. Episode three, episode two complete. It was planned for episode three, um, but it's episode two. Uh, if you've not listened to episode one with Chris Littler, I suggest you go and do that now. Um, good reflection and conversation with Chris on his experiences out in Japan with British Swimming last December. Um, and if you've got any ideas uh, for future episodes or perhaps yourself want to come on and talk to me on the podcast, please do get in touch.